0: We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath.
1: Welcome to Radio Naturopath, the call and talk show about health and natural medicine. It's May 22nd, 2019. I am Franz Storch, ND, naturopathic physician. I'm here with my co host, Ron Manizza. Hey. If you'd like to participate in the conversation about natural medicine, you can call 860-486-9487. That's 860-486-9487. You can also email me at radionatropath at gmail.com. If you'd like to listen to this show at another time, you can check out our podcast at whus.org. You can also check out my Facebook page, Twitter, and Instagram at ND. All right, today it's my pleasure to once again introduce my very special guest, Carl Goldkamp, N.D., naturopathic physician. In Bern, North Carolina, Carl is a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, certified in Chinese herbal medicine and environmental medicine. He was the first graduation speaker at Bastyr University to graduate with two degrees, uh, all right, all right. doctor of naturopathy and also in MS in acupuncture. He's got uh, over 16 years of clinical experience as a naturopathic doctor working with diet and lifestyle change. He's worked with many, many different um, conditions. And um, he's also treated people with environmental exposures, designed detox programs, and tested ge- for genetic variants to more specifically support detox pathways with targeted nutrition. You can find um, Carl's, uh, Carl Goldkamp's um, website at, uh, at http uh, double hash, double slash, Um So there you have it. Welcome to Radio Naturopath, Carl.
0: <laughs> how you doing Let's good see. how are you
1: good
0: good one correction on the, on the address it's keto naturopath not ketone naturopath but anyway okay
1: oh yeah right i yeah keto naturopath it's not the word ketone then naturopath it's just k-e-t-o then the word naturopath and it's all lowercase yeah. one word got, got that you got it sweet uh,
0: anyway good so, to talk to you again friend.
1: you too how's the weather in north carolina
0: well you know um we moved down from Cape Cod, and we lived there about five years in southern Connecticut, and um, the spring lasts uh, a few hours here. Right now, you know, we are in the 90s this week, and next, year, next week I think we'll get into the hundreds, and I go, in Oh, Bay. my God. Wow. Huh. Yeah.
1: The spring lasts a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. That's wow.
0: really presents the question, how long does it take to fry an egg on the hood of your car come August? Oh, oh my goodness.
2: There you go. Hmm. Wow! Well, you'll have to experiment with that and get back to
0: us.
1: I, I know, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> had a lot of suggestions of how to cook it too. Right? Oh, <laughs> so.
1: oh my goodness! So, um, you know, since I um, since I spoke to you in February, um, it really sparked my interest in, um, you know, in In the keto diet, and particularly in your version of it, which is the carnivore keto diet, I have a number of patients um, who were already doing the keto diet before um, before I spoke with you, and then since I saw you, there were a couple of patients who came in who I thought that keto carnivore would be appropriate for them, so I started them on it. Um, As yet, nobody has stuck to it 100%. But um, perhaps you have some I- advice about that. So, Carl, please start um, wherever you'd like. Um, the, the first question I have is, um, what do you actually eat? Or, you know, if there's something more important, please start there.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, it all comes down to, uh, in the end, people have objectives. Like, usually it's losing weight and so on. Um, that wasn't the case with me. But uh, if it can be sustained and if they enjoy it, then it will work if it's... You know, an active discipline for a short period of time, it's not going to work. You know, that's the way it goes. So, um, what I found, you know, I I've, I've worked with patients up at uh, Duke with Dr. Westman. I got to sort of see his program, which was pretty much the legacy of Dr. Atkins. And it was all good. But when, you know, and I, I, I really love the teaching of the man because he's very candid and open, is that, you know, he said, at best, we get 50% success rate, which means, of all the patients they see, and it's mostly insurance patients, it's not the um, affluent people who can pay out of pocket, though a few do come through that door as well, that um, 50% of people, and I'm my guessing is closer to 60%, just it doesn't take with them. And so the, the reason is why. Um, and so I think people need to be coddled a little bit and to, yeah, you sort of start with a food list, but it ends up being pretty intuitive. And yeah, we've worked with people that are a hindu vegan how's that not only that are they they're phobic of animal meats and they're uh strictly vegetarian and that's a hard place to begin so we had to work with saying can we try a little eggs you know um that didn't work so we had to go to powdered eggs and we, we did some nutrient you know spectra cell tests and said you know i just feel badly for you because you know you're Flying above the trees, and I don't know when we're going to crash, and I don't, I don't perceive we're gaining any altitude here, and so we micromanaged her to, you know, gradually building out uh, other food she can eat. So it, uh, the reason I say that it varies from very difficult for people to come in, and uh, she was actually a very successful person in the end. But so what I eat, um, I don't really eat, and it's not an act of discipline until after 12. I would say I'm primarily carnivore, but I think I disqualify that. I disqualify myself for that because. Judy tends to make, you know, uh, keto, um, call them crepes or pancakes, which are uh, carb-free. And so, obviously, that's not, you know, chomping on something meat. So, except for those exceptions, I'm pretty much all meat. But, so what does that mean? I have, uh, I've learned to like liver and I obviously like eggs. And I like that because of the the choline source, among other things. It's uh, one of the few fatty, fatty uh organs of the bodies so that is easily accessible in the supermarket. So we blend it up, you know, we cook it and we blend it up and I make liverwurst. So I have a stash of liverwurst for my fallback. Uh, what else do we have? You you find your snack foods are, you know, make a mischief. We make our own mayo. We have a stash of, you know, already cooked bacon that we've cooked. And so there's that. Then it comes down to really what are you going to do for the one meal a day, which is uh, dinner, uh 6 o'clock. Primarily, it, it is meat. Um, we do have our supply of salmon so we have that we have some chicken we have some pork um, and I just find this lifestyle is so easy and so the, the question is is it satisfying and um, it becomes satisfying when you just let the discipline go the discipline meaning how much should I eat you know how many proteins? Uh, grams of proteins I mean I measure that once every other month now just to make sure am I on track but other than that you know, I, I'm going to eat to being full. And it, and so, that's it. So, it, it works for me. For others, they come from such a processed food perspective that for them, the big step is getting away from processed food, which is clearly kind of a, what we all did naturopathically. is like get the junk out and have it be real food. If you're onto whole foods, what we call, it, you know, then it's an easier place to start. Then we're simply making better choices. Um, But if you're a processed food person and you've rationalized it in your life because you're so busy, so you stop by McDonald's or actually you can do this on McDonald's. There's some good choices there, but, um, or you've got this little bag of things and that little bag of things, you you have to sort of drop that. And so that, that's hard. If you have a lifestyle that's been bag food forever, um, having to go to whole food is a big step. But once you're into a-
1: Keto (laughs) or carnivore or not, just going to whole food is a huge step for a lot of people.
0: Yep. 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 And, uh, and that's clearly been the big difference. So we've done a number of coaching groups, you know, started for free and then gradually have, uh, elaborated our course and, uh, made it, um, more expensive, I should say. Um, and so what we found is the biggest differentiation was those who are processed food addicts pretty much. And those who weren't, you know, and that's a big step. So once you're, you're into a whole food ish orientation, Then it's simply saying, all right, what do we drop, which is really the grains and the starches. But the controversies that are in front of us now, especially as a naturopath, is that you could drop, you know, there is no such thing as essential carbohydrate. Absolutely. No such thing. You know, and the the challenge of what about fiber? You know, that's being challenged too. Is fiber really necessary? And so we go, wait a minute, you need fiber to make the short chain fatty acids, butyrate. Oh, really? Butyrate? Well, butyrate is what you get from the ketogenic diet. You know, so and so uh, you know, these this is dogma for hundreds of years, uh, and certainly deep into our naturopathic philosophy. You know, your your phytonutrients and so on and so forth, weren't they essential?
1: Well, not you know, if you, you go, not if you go to the Arctic.
0: Not if you Right. That's that's a great example. Yeah. You and, know, or the um, the um
1: or the Mongolians.
0: Mm-hmm. Both of them. And so the uh, that brings up the the research uh, a guy named Stefan Johansson did uh, back at the turn of the century. He was a, an Arctic explorer. He ended up at Dartmouth and he started a, um, a called Cold Regions Research. But what he did, he spent about six years with the Inuits back then, back when it was an uh, unpolluted part of the world. And he ate like he uh, like they ate. And when he came back to the United States, he was actually Canadian of Icelandic origin, when he came back, to the United States, he and one of his co um, explorers said, You know, vegetables and carbs are not necessary. And guess what? You can study me. So he went into, uh, I think it was Mount Sinai, and let himself be studied, he and his um, colleague. And so they stayed in the hospital for a couple months and then to really measure everything they ate, you know, totally study them, do blood work and so on and so forth. This is now the um, early 30s. And so after a couple of months, they said, "Well, you know, you can go home, but just write down everything you eat. Assume you're going to be honest." And so they tracked them for a year, and they found there was no ill health. And so that was the beginning of it. So that's this is sort of just rediscovering what has been uh, discovered before, but it was uh, what do I say? Not a popular message to bring across to the public.
1: Right. Yeah, and one of the uh, of course there's all these these criticisms that absolutely like if you don't have the fiber, um what's that going to do to your microbiota?
0: Right. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. That whole that's where I started, right? So my my story to to clip it to the last interview was You know, I had severe Crohn's and ulcerative colitis from... I know. uh,
1: That's what I explain to people because I tell your story all the time. I hope you don't mind. No,
0: not at all. Not at all.
1: I figure because it's on, you have it on the internet, so I figure it's okay. But I tell your story and I have people say, well, I might be able to do that for a little while, but then I would try other things or that's not something I can do. And I said, well, Carl does it because it saved his life. He has to do it because the alternative is basically death.
0: Yeah, you know, and you know that that's that is that is the grain of sand perfect place to begin. It's what is the person's motivation? You know, back to the whole Viktor Frankl thing of being a survivor of World War II, the Holocaust and everything and that, you know, he came out he said you need to have a reason. People either change because they have to or because they want to, but usually it's because they have
1: to. Right.
0: And and so You had no choice. That's right. And so with that, um, how I interpreted that motivation, I mean, and people can say it's fine. You have the motivation, but how do you how would you come up with an answer? Well, I didn't come up with the answer right away. I I went deep into the whole microbiota thing. I you know went down and to the international conferences specifically on FMT fecal microbiota trans, transfer. I think it's just called FT now, and and learned all about that. I did do that with my wife for three months, and so that you know I talked to the world experts in Australia and Belgium, and you know and and, and totally fascinating, and so. It brings this idea. what is the perfect microbiota? Well, there isn't any. you know, it's, it's collections of families. you know if you eat veggies, you're gonna have a certain orientation to your microbiota. If you eat meat, if you eat, and so on and so forth. But what I learned is, you know we're, we're, we're looking at the wrong end, so to say, because if I change my diet, I change my microbiota. And I know there's industries of supplements, so it's in part as a naturopathic thing as well and as commercial, is that they go, no, no, their whole probiotic aspect, and there's a place for probiotics. But I've questioned that as well. Um, I think it's very useful post-antibiotics and making sure you don't create uh, harm because of uh, using antibiotics. But however, trying to guide your microbiota by taking supplements um, outside of an acute situation is bogus in my ideas. Your microbiota is is created by your diet. And so really, we got to move up the alimentary canal from the rectum up to the mouth and even further up to the head and saying, what are we eating? And, you know, this is the, the source of our, micro, my, our microbiota. Well, before we get into, well, this I have low, I'm hypochlorhydric because my stomach acid. Well, you know, let's get back to the food. And um, not everybody starts at the same place. Not everybody starts with equal efficiency. But eventually, they straighten out. You know. Uh, and, it, and so you go, well, what's the cause of ill health? At least that's where my mind goes. And it is, I would say, the processed foods. And that we can have as much of the garbage we'd like to eat you know, forever. You know, the, the worst food is the cheapest food to have. And we've been pointing that out for a long time. So that's not a new message. But the message is, it drives, uh, blood sugar problems. And the blood sugar from there is, you know, the obviously diabetes, prediabetes, dysglycemia that moves on to heart disease. And so that door is a massive, uh, a massive growth for a lot of ill health, but that's the door. You know, that is the door. It's not one of many in my view. Um, and so that's a big deal. You know, I, I, um, it is so fascinating because it goes deeper and deeper. And finally, the serious research is starting to happen just in this last couple of years. So I, I like going to these conferences and tie into the various people that I interview as well. Um, and so what, what was my thought here? Some of the, the, the current issues are really coming back to not just the components of the food, the macros you know, your carbs or lack of carbs or your fat and your protein and how much that's all valid. That's a good conversation to have. And it's a good piece of understanding to have. And then you go into the kind of fats and you go into, you know, what are the better proteins, but that's, we're still, you know, we're, it's still at the same level. It's really the emotional addiction to carbohydrates and what carbohydrates bring in. And this is like really? Now we're just talking about carbohydrates? We're no longer talking about just grains and starches? The conversation is much bigger than that. And, um, and, and I think this is my reflection on my education being a naturopath now and uh, looking elsewhere around the world is that I, I feel it, it's on the verge of saying, you know, I think there was an a, agenda through our naturopathic education of being very plant-based. You know, I don't remember in my education going, yeah, now we're going to talk about meats and, you know, we talked about protein generically, whether it was a pea protein or whether it was a cow protein.
1: Yeah, I know? think I and mentioned to th- I mentioned this at the last, um, when we spoke in February, which was um, when I was in school. So remind me again, what year you graduated? In
0: 98.
1: 98. And I graduated in 95 and you were up at Bastyr and I was down at National. Anyway, yeah. so... Um, so I graduated 95. So 91 to 95, um, you know, of course, we were all uh, talking about, you know, you've got to get away from the processed foods and you want to eat whole foods. Um, and there's a lot of issues with, um, you know, with dairy and with meat in that um, you know, you've got a lot, you've got pesticides, you've got the whole pesticide because they're high up on the food chain. You've got um, their lifetime of pesticide consumption and toxins and, um, and hormones and antibiotics. And so, um, the solution to that at that time was everybody should be a vegan, that being a vegan was the healthiest thing that you could do. And we, boy, we've come full circle on that. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely have. And, you know, I, I guess that, uh, So back to that grain of sand point of motivation about, you know, uh, for me, it was about saving my life. And I then had to say, well, you're not a dummy and you don't need to be Einstein to figure this out. So go do it. You know, Uh, it's sort of don't be don't be perfect. So I'm so
1: glad you did, because what you did is going to help so many people.
0: Here's hoping. I think so. You know, and it, it's interesting. So if you can find it, you can. we can simplify this in saying you have to find somebody's why. But usually if, we're, we're, if they're coming to our office, then it's because they have pain. And so you have to sort of line up their pain with the motivation. But, um,
1: Well, the first patient that I um, put on that I said, why don't you try being a carnivore? The way it happened was... Um, I, I was talking to her about what she was eating. She had pain all over. She's an older lady, and she had pain all over her body. And um, when um, when I talked to her, she told me, "I'm not a big vegetable eater." Oh. I said, you're, "I said you're not, are you?" I said, "Why don't you try this?" And I talked to her about this lifestyle, and she was game. And um, my next visit with her, she—I mean, I don't know that she's sticking to it 100%, but. Um, She's, um, but the next visit, she had lost a bunch of weight and she, her pain was much reduced. And, and so her motivation is a lot of, you know, debilitating musculoskeletal pain. Yep. So, um, that, so that was the, uh, that, that was the thing is with you, I mean, people can live with a certain amount of pain and people can live with a certain amount of body fat. You can't live if you have severe Crohn's colitis. Did you have Crohn's right. or ulcerative colitis or did you have both? both. Yeah, okay. I so you had Crohn's so Crohn's colitis. Yes. And to um just to um to clarify, Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are inflammatory are are in the category of inflammatory bowel disease. And ulcerative colitis, when you're talking about Ulcerative colitis. You're talking about ulcerations in the colon, so you're pretty much specifically talking about the colon. And then you can have inflammation. Crohn's disease is um, an inflammatory bowel disease that occurs anywhere from mouth to anus and anywhere um, anywhere in between. And so one of there's inflammation as well. There's characteristic histology, meaning there's characteristic um, cellular things that you see. And one of the really dangerous things with Crohn's disease is um, the inflammation can become so severe you can get blockages. Uh, so and, and it is possible to get them together. And some people, they're not sure which diagnosis. And in the end, it doesn't matter. Naturopathically, we treat them both and we think of them both similarly. I wouldn't right. say exactly the same. And, it, and, you know, you're going to... So in your case, of course, you're treating them the same way. So so this is so inflammatory bowel disease subsets, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis are not irritable bowel disease. They're not the same or not irritable bowel syndrome. They're not. They're they're very different. One is a functional condition where you have no histological changes, no changes in the cellular structure. And one is um, a very serious uh, inflammatory disease that can predispose you to um, GI, to gastrointestinal cancers.
0: Yeah, I I see it basically as a spectrum. Even though we we don't have all the dots in a row, so uh, right that
1: there's it, that so. that it's a spectrum that people have varying levels of inflammation in their in their bodies and, right. and in their yeah, digestive absolutely.
0: systems. It, and and the the um, the thing we have in common naturopathically when somebody comes through the door, generally classically I should say, is that we're trying to reduce inflammation in that part of the body. Well, obviously, that's what everybody's trying to do, and so allopathically, meaning MDS, for the most part, they give very strong medications. I've been on them. You know, you have to, and they're trying to shut down your entire immune system. For instance, uh, anti-tumor uh, necrosis factor alpha. So they said, well, if we can just block that, we'll block. You know, and so it, it is a. And I'm trying not to be critical. I understand. The, I mean, it had to save my life. So my my wife thinks for the couple of months I was on those meds that it helped me. I don't know because it had a lot of other side effects, but. That's the thinking so it, you actually
1: took some some uh, monoclonal antibodies,
0: oh absolutely no I, well you're when you're when nobody else can help you, and I had reached out to a number of other NDs and it was just too light, you know it was just not heavy enough and because most NDs don't go there, you know it's just like you're beyond my help, buddy <laughs> right. you know I'm sorry, you know or well well beyond any uh, probiotics or whatever uh, supplements um, and so you're left with shut this down no matter what. I don't really care. I'm not judging. Please shut it down. And so they do that. First, they think they can shut it down with steroids. And if that doesn't work, they go, oops. Uh, well, the biggest cannon just got removed from the uh, from the scenario. Now, where else can we go? So you basically do uh, monoclonal antibodies. Um, and there's a couple of meds. I don't remember all of them. but it, it, it
1: Yeah, it is, the big uh, one is adalimumab or Humira.
0: Yeah, uh, there should be a class action suit against that. But, and also, uh,
1: and remicade is another big one that I see people. Yeah,
0: think. yeah. And so when you realize that that it may be something, you know, it's not like you're. So wait,
1: back up. Me. So what? What's your issue with adalimumab?
0: Uh, Arthritic. You know, in other words, when I came back in, and I, it's really interesting. I reported this to the to the second doc that I went to, and said, you know, I. Maybe it's helping me internally. We can't look at that on a regular basis. They would look at your mouth to see you're not getting ulcerations, as you had mentioned, and they didn't. They said, "Well, okay, I guess we're we're not causing a problem." But it was incredible arthritic pain, especially low back and knees. And so I would almost crawl into the office by saying, "Well, maybe that's better, but this certainly you know was gotten worse." So and I've never the, even had so
1: the adalimumab gave you severe um, arthrit, arthritic pain, musculoskeletal pain. Hey. Wow! And you know what's
0: funny? You know what's funny about that? You know where the acronym HUMERA comes from? It stands for human um, monoclonal antibody uh, for RA. So uh, right. it's basically and so it's, you go wait that a minute. No this sense. is target, right? Right, it makes no sense.
1: Right, okay. and they give the monoclonal antibodies for a variety of. Um, Uh, inflammatory conditions you'll see it given for uh and if you see the ads on tv they give it for um for inflammatory bowel disease acne i that that i haven't seen that advertised i didn't know they did that but they definitely give it for psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis uh and they give it for um uh well i i've seen it i'm pretty sure they use it for asthma sometimes um Mm, yeah
0: it's they're finding more and more if uh there was a period of time I spent a lot of time in doctor's offices, of course, and so you go through all those magazines, and Humira is in every magazine you can pick up in a doctor's yes, office. Yes, so. for
1: numerous conditions, and certainly they give the the monoclonal antibodies for um, for rheumatoid arthritis.
0: Right, right. And so uh, you get so caught up in the medication and the side effects of the medication, and and, and it goes on and on and on that here, you know, uh, take me, but there's a 100 people like me, take me that says, you know, I'm a, I haven't been on any med- medications for, what is it, five or six years, you know, and, and I have no arthritis, and, you know, I am good. And so people are on carnivore, and one of the things that people go on carnivore for is for arth- arthritis in Absolutely. general, whether it's OA, OA or RA. Yes. Um, and who would have thought you could put OA and RA in the same category with the same treatment? You know, that's not how I learned it. And also yeah.
1: PA. I see so many people diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. And yeah, I, don't, well, I don't know if it really is psoriatic arthritis, but that's what they get diagnosed with. They get psoriatic arthritis. I see psoriatic arthritis. I see uh, just osteoarthritis. I see rheumatoid arthritis. And then I see people get diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica.
0: Right, right. And
1: they're all and, yeah. candidates for this, I think.
0: They are. They are. So the, the fun that I'm finally starting to have in terms of treating people, and I, we just basically have a program, small program, about 10 people. It takes about four months, and we I do for sort of line up the labs. This is now you can go get labs independently, you know, and go, hey, you're you're going to go get these labs, and so you know we really started to do it before and after, and it's mostly for the education of the patient. You know, they just want their symptoms to go away or their weight to go away, but usually their problems a lot bigger. You know, if they if most people are unaware of you know their hemoglobin one AC, and it's you know they say, yeah. you no, know, I have pain, why am why am I looking at you know H one C. Yeah, well, it's connected. Believe me, it's connected. You line these things up and you go, I, I just sort of see the pattern and saying this is such a wonderful holistic uh, treatment for so many different things because of the, not just the insulin sensitivity, it's it's dropping down. And by the way, let's say we, we all stopped carbs, you know, it, it's not going to cure the world because – there's an in, we can make glucose, you know.
1: Yes, you can always do gluconeogenesis. That's right, and right. you can also, and, so, and you have have you know tens of thousands of is it tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of calories available in your fat stores.
0: You have lots. I mean, you have a combination of not just your fat, but of course your glycogen, you know, muscle storage, and and that's an independent variable as well. But the reason I mentioned you know the opposite of, glu- uh, of insulin is, is glucagon. And uh, you don't hear anybody saying, oh, his glucagon is up. Nobody takes glucagon. The last time you heard glucagon was in your physiology class in, in medical sc- in med school.
1: That's true. We don't uh, really think about glucagon. Please explain what is glucagon and it just give us a refresher on it.
0: Okay. So glucagon, so insulin, These are. it's a seesaw. Generally, it is believed they're in opposition. One's up and the other's down. So insulin's function is to kind of a thermostat sense a level of blood sugar, glucose in the blood, and then saying too much and it shoots it off to store it in fat. Initially it's the fat you know on your body and eventually we start running out of
1: other well, places. Well doesn't it out. also send it to the liver first to be stored as yeah. glycogen?
0: Yeah, yeah. There's that. It has a number of it has it has a number of addresses in which to shoot this stuff away, and so when these addresses start to get filled up, they go. We're running out of addresses. We got a new one. You got got a new place we can store it. So and that I mean, would be
1: the last place to go. The the repository of the unused glucose is your fat cells. Yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. And that's where you get you can end up having you know fatty liver and a fatty lot of things. I mean, you get. Eat a lot of fat around your heart that shouldn't be there and so on. Anyway, so that's the insulin side. So the glucagon is the other side saying our insul- our glucose by sensor, is, so we're saying, simplifying it, um, is something that says our glucose is too low. We need to make some glucose. And so it can easily make glucose. So it makes glucose. So hence gluconeogenesis, simply making new glucose. Yes. And so that's sort of the, the opposite way. How you get to turning on uh gluconeogenesis yes there is a sensor that says wait a minute you know and other a cascade of other uh hormones that turn it on but the main one is stress and cortisol and epinephrine norepinephrine etc it goes it, it's that voice that goes back millions of years our evolution that says there's a bear or a wolf or a lion chasing you Make glucose and let's get this body out of here. Climb the tree, run as fast as you can. So th- that's part of what we're about is our ability to make glucose instantaneously fast and available for the whole freaking body. And so, okay, that's good. Well, now you come into this, and this is why uh, stress is such a hugely interesting. I mean, that was my door into this, <laughs> obviously, you know, but it what it does is that you can be on a I am being a little facetious here. A high carb diet by being stressed, chronic stress.
1: Absolutely. You're,
0: you're hitting your, you're hitting your, we'll call it cortisol, but it's a little more complicated, but cortisol is, will work. Um, cortisol is now signaling on a regular basis, regardless uh, of what our glucose levels are, measurable glucose levels are in our blood, hitting the glucagon saying, more please, more please, more please. And that's why people can say, I don't eat anything and I'm getting fat. Well, you, you besides having some sort of pathology, yeah, right. And I
1: always tell stri- people that um, you know that one of the treatments. One, I, I I try to emphasize, and and for almost anything, certainly for fat loss, but for many many other things, I try to emphasize to them stress reduction. It's not just if you reduce your stress, your irritable bowel will get better. Stress reduction is a treatment for your IBS. It's just as important as taking, I don't know, peppermint oil or a probiotic or changing your diet. Reducing your stress treats your IBS. Reducing your stress treats your inflammatory bowel disease. If you are highly stressed, it will be orders of magnitude harder to lose weight. And then, if you're stressed and you're also um, postmenopausal, eve uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a yeah, number of things yeah. working against you there but um, stress uh, because a lot of people want to lose weight and you know a lot of people who come to keto, um, they come to it because of fat loss because they've tried everything else and they can't seem to lose weight but stress is such a huge part of it. I, I mean yep. if you are chronically stressed and if you're chronically stressed and post-menop- peri or postmenopausal. Even worse, um, it, it can stymie your fat loss, even if you are on the perfect diet for you. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. And it's very Good. simple. You have high cortisol. Cortisol's job is, just like you said, cortisol is there so that you can run away from the bear or the lion or the yeah. or the, the macaw, yeah. macaw or whatever. <laughs> um, and its job is to look around and find whatever it can and put sugar into your blood so you have energy to get away from that bear. And so if you've got a 100 tiny little bears chasing you all the time in the form of school and work and getting your kids from here to there and taking care of an elderly loved one or taking care of an ill uh, loved one or friend, um, then then you have this constant dumping of cortisol. And while that's going on, it's going to be very hard to heal from most things. And yet, you know, I talk to people about stress, you know, sometimes you have to deal with harm reduction because they're just not going to be able to get away from some of their stressors. So you talk about, you know, doing all the restorative activities, um, taking breaks, taking rests, and taking some supplements like, um, you know, your ashwagandha and your rhodiola and your Eleuthero and your ginseng and, you know, name your favorite adaptogen, etc.
0: Right. One of the things that doesn't come up when we talk about stress is, and you can put steroids in here, so the medications are the same thing, these medications, is that we we now have the explanation of just what you said, you know, you will gain weight and you're going to be driven, is that the appetite for 100% carbs is huge. And and you can go right back as if you were on a high-carb diet, meaning your body has now induced all the blood sugar, all the glucose you wanted- well, when it takes a break and that drops, suddenly you're going to get just like you had a high-carb lunch and your insulin comes in and shuts it all down. Now you're hypoglycemic.
1: And you're and hungry. And now you go, oh my
0: gosh. And so it sets up the pattern, even however unintended, that you're going to go for carbs. You're not going to go for a steak after that. So you now are feeding in those troughs, meaning when the glucose has dropped, and with all the carbs. And so now you've amplified that. So- even in a high stress diet person. And, and the way I summarize it is when you do stress management, you're really talking about anti-inflammatory management. You know, this is why we're doing it. So, so, but as you get into uh, actually producing ketones, you know, miserable ketones, what you're now doing is you're producing increase in GABA, you know, uh, gamma amino benzoic acid. And so when you're, so GABA is the meditation hormone, if you will, among other things, it's, you know, gabapentin. I mean, there are all, so many things are based on top of this. Um,
1: yeah, I don't know fatty? if GABA, I looked at GABA, the mechanism of action for gabapentin. I don't, I think it ha, it's related to GABA, but I don't know if it really does, you know, enhance GABA signal. I'm not sure exactly how it works, but it's not exactly. Yeah, well, one's a medication.
0: Right. No, one of my, my point with mentioning that is that pharmaceutically, they're trying to get GABA stimulators as tranquilizers, right? Yeah. So you have Which your sort benzodiazepines. Of makes sense. Right. Right. It just gets overdone. People want to be blissed out and but, so, back to gaba, gaba is the opposite of of glutamate, which is you know glutamate's a stimulator, so. So whether not so right, so now whether we're talking about autism or anybody, you know, you're now bringing not so much. You're not you're tranking them out. You're 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 tranquilizing to the point they're non-responsive. No, that's it's impossible to go in that direction, uh, non-pharmaceutically that is. And so what you're doing, you're providing a balance. You're bringing it back into balance, and then that balance, even though people are going to feel if they've been so stressed, that they're like, gosh, I'm feeling, gosh, i feel pretty calm now. What, what the heck is this about? You know, and they get this consciousness, and this is where they get this sort of. Uh, mental focus as well. So it's like this voice comes into their life and their head by saying, hmm, I just feel good breathing right now. I don't have to do all these other things. And so that's kind of the first step as you start stepping away. But that's a side effect.
1: So when Uh, you lower your carbs, you make more GABA.
0: uh, Too big of a step. When you lower your carbs enough, you know, enough. So I I shoot for 20 or less, which is the classic ketogenic. Wow, that's low. Yeah, well, actually, I don't do any carbs now at all, so it's even lower. Um, So, when you get to wherever it is with you, and I I tell, for our program, we start everybody with, we're shooting for, you know, we're shooting for 20, and this is how we're going to do it, and after this becomes effective, you can, if you really want to, you can start increasing your carbs and find out where you lose that effect, but let's start in a place we know will create a positive effect. So, dropping your carbs to the point that you are now fat adapted, right, because you're also either burning your fat or you initially increased your fat. And keeping your protein, you know, equal, not higher or lower, um, is that that's when you're going to start. It's the, the ketones, is the producing of the GABA, the lowering of the carbohydrate forces the fat metabolism, and so that's it. Just had to put in a few steps there.
1: Do you so your pa- so some patients come in and they're like, "All right, I'm all for this," and they go keto carnivore. Um, don't they get the keto flu?
0: Not always, actually
1: okay, okay. Uh, Flu. What's yes that? yes please oh, explain whoa. let's please talk about that because people always talk about it talk about it and talk about ways to help it
0: yeah no i think uh that's a good topic and i think it represents really the, the transition you know you have to get people to say hey body is making a transition this isn't like a hack i hate that expression this isn't a right bio hack. this is this is metabolically changing your system slowly you know, so it's not just about producing ketones, it's about these other levels that are going to be, and it goes on for years actually. So what the the keto flu is, the guess on this is that you're having an electrolyte change and your electrolytes have fallen behind and so you might even get muscle cramps, you'll get sort of aches and pains and so on. Some people, it, it could be they've Could be addiction to the foods they're leaving as well, so it's a a bit of a vague. But I would go with the electrolyte.
1: I wonder. I wonder if the keto flu is. Um, it's true because all of a sudden, when you go off carbs, when when you stop eating, you suddenly stop eating a lot of um, starchy foods and carbs and things one of the first things that happens is you pee for three days, at least. Um, (laughs) I mean, you lose a lot of body water and you notice that you go to the bath. I know even if I just, you know, go on a sugar fast, that happens to me. that will just get rid of a lot of fluid. Um, So that's one of the things that happens and that can lead to an electrolyte imbalance. I also wonder if part of the symptoms that people feel are um, their hormones have to reset. So their insulin has to reset. Their cortisol has to reset. Their norepinephrine, epinephrine has to reset. And um, so if you suddenly drop your carbs, of course, that thing happens where, um, you know, you're suddenly, um, you're not putting in the carbs that you're used to. So you've got that insulin effect that's, or you get that cortisol effect where you're um, trying to put sugar into your blood and possibly glucagon as well. Um, But if your cortisol suddenly steps in and tries to put more sugar into your blood, when you have high catecholamines, that's part of what gives you the symptoms. And so that takes a while to reset. Um, and some people, I, do you believe that like, do you think that every, I, I mean, this is, this is stepping out on the ledge a bit, but do you think that everybody can um, do keto carnivore or um, is it, are there certain genetic types who do better at it?
0: Mm, that's such step. I wanted to, Hold that point. I want to go back, backtrack on the electrolytes for a second. Because uh, when people do make the transition, the two things they do have to be worried about is magnesium initially and sodium. And so um, the idea, we call it carnivore, call it the ancestral diet. You know, however, you know, back then there was the expression, actually not, not but 100 years ago, it was a, a person is worth their salt, meaning salt was rare and salt was one of the things we really coveted. Now we have as much salt as you possibly want um, and hopefully have a good quality. So, salt, sodium specifically, is something that uh, needs to be taken. So, that's another opposite of what we our people were used for it before. It's like, don't put too much salt on your, uh, on your food because you're going to get hypertension and all this other stuff. It's like, no, now it's necessary. So, there's that. Magnesium is the other one. And it's not like, oh my gosh, I have to supplement magnesium, even though I have some on hand and I have CalMag. But um, I, for the most part, I just up my sea salt. I put sea salt in my coffee. Um, and i actually don't put it on my food i don't it's just that i have never been a salt person but so i make sure to put it in my coffee and sometimes my tea so i'm good with that
2: okay um, back up just you, a second sea salt yeah. in your coffee and your tea you got to you got yeah. to tell me why
0: oh uh, well actually, it actually takes the bitterness out and uh, i'm finding a place cuz i'm finding a place to put the salt that i like it and now it's just become habitual with me
1: oh, he doesn't like it on, like food, it on really. his meat
2: Okay. Like you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I like it on my. And meat, he doesn't right.
1: particularly yeah. eat salad or, or do. Yeah. I, as I recall, yeah. you said you eat little bits of relishes every few days. Is that right?
0: Um, and that's I would say every few months because we put. I think you visit us in Mystic, so we've we made so many. You know, we have a, a basement full of relishes now, vintage that we use. You know, periodically on our food, but it's not like a, a discipline at all. Uh, it probably takes a couple months to go through a jar. So it's I would. So, it's not very much at all. So, no, the only, the only veggies I would have is if I'm out in a social gathering and it's too much attention to avoid my salad, then I'll have my salad. Whereas I, you know, we grew and made salads for decades. But anyway, so salt is important. So, wherever you want to put it, it's obviously in our mayo and so on and so forth. Uh, I put it on our liverwurst. Uh, so, there's a meat combination. So, I am aware of the salt and the salt and actually salt sensitizes your insulin. So, it's a good thing. Um, so, yeah, it's a big deal. So, other than that, you sort of keep an eye on magnesium. Uh, it's not something you have to check. Some people simply say take bullion. You know, bullion a fairly good source. It never worked for me um, since I'm the naturopath and I can get a supplement. I put that back there. But I only take magnesium if I feel uh, muscle cramp, usually my calves maybe my hamstrings. And uh, other than that, I it, my mind doesn't go to that. It's just salt. And uh, so anyway, so that was that part. So that's why that's the keto flu. And that's how I would do it. Some people can go out and buy a supplement that's for all their electrolytes. Is that better? I don't think necessarily. I think the more you force your body to do, so it's it's probably a, a, a good, healthy crutch intermit, you know, intermittent. And it's obviously my, you know, it's all, it's the whole it's all of the electrolytes. And Helping I've seen people a, to
1: stick with stuff is is a big thing in yep, naturopathic medicine.
0: <laughs> so when you think of the thing as a transition, think of the, you know w- what are the things that we need to help people with so they don't get you know easily deterred and say I quit um, because uh, in this culture it's very easy to quit because they don't know who's telling the truth. I I totally buy into that. So. Anyway, so on to the other thing. You're talking about, is there a genetic predisposition some people do better than others? What you're really asking is this whole new thing called, well, not new thing, since 2003, genomes, and looking at uh, SNAP, SNPs, yes. singular nuclear polymorphism. So um, interesting story on that. Back in, um, I think I had just left the mystic office or my own practice, and I started getting into, 23andMe had yet to be out, and so I was... And I think some conferences I went to, I was introduced to MTHFR, which is a SNP. It's a methyl tetrahydrofolate reductase. And so a SNP is a one amino acid uh, mutation for a common enzyme. You know, and in, we're, in when we body. say
1: SNP, it's it's a, uh, it's a just an abbreviation for single nucleotide polymorphism.
0: Correct. And so uh, MTH, so this is now 2007 to 2010. I was invited up to lecture annually for a couple of days on uh, SNPs that we knew then. And there may be uh, increased vulnerability they would give to certain medications. And so we looked at, you know, it has to do with B12, folic acid. So what kind of medications also deplete that? And so we got deep into it and it was a lot of fun, but that was kind of the focus of those things. And um, so now you'd say, well, I was, I was definitely excited about the genome and the genome research. So I would say in a normal diet of high carb and high fat, those are relevant issues to have. And when now when we slide into the ketogenic diet, as you said, things get resensitized, talked about hormones, cortisol, and so on and so forth. And we find that a lot of people on keto actually have a lower thyroid hormone, but they're not hypothyroid. They don't have the symptoms, right? So it's the opposite of subclinical th- hypothyroid. It's clinical.
1: Yeah, you def- that's one of the things that they tell you to look for, that the person's T3 will go down.
0: Right. And so then the question is, just because it went down, does it need to be supplemented?
1: That's a good you know, question, because I've been doing that. I have, because I have supplements that, that can help. Like, I have patients on keto who, they, their T3 drops, so I help them with it.
0: Right. So this is the re-referencing and getting the data of all these different things that are changing. So... Um, Speaking to hormones, I had my hormone panel done on me. This is a guy now five, six years on keto through Dutch, uh, dried dried urine, um, comprehensive hormone panel made by Precision. It's out in Oregon and considered to be the best, uh, method of tracking all your hormones. And so, um, they do give you everything and you have, you have nearly a 24 hour period of, you know, peeing on a strip and then drying them out and sending them in and they give you the graph back. And it's pretty interesting. And wow. you can it consult. So, what did I find? I, I So, per patient report for my story telling you, I'm fine. Well, when I look at this, I got my androgens are low and this was <laughs> – I'm thinking, well, this is one poor sucker. Who is he, by the way? You know, and so, what I'm saying and, – and actually, uh, I am one that has this MTHFR SNP and others that are – that that – cause a lot of issues. And yet they have a methylation part of, are your hormones being methylated appropriately? I was a high methylator. So tying all these things together, what we don't know is that uh, there was one study that came out that actually showed, looked at microbiome and so on and so forth that shows a fat adapted person, a ketogenic uh, person actually increases their endogenous self-made folic acid. And it didn't, you know, And so therefore, it affects the folate cycle, the methylation cycle, and beyond what it said, because it's only a study of one so far, and actually it came out of a fatty liver disease uh, study, that is like, well, does that beg the question that a lot of these SNPs are now irrelevant in the world of a ketogenic diet? In the, and I would say, arguably, in the world of the millions of years we lived in a ketogenic diet. And therefore, the, these genes were primarily only a problem in the high and fi- the standard American diet,
1: yes, I, I, and and the standard American stress and lifestyle and and toxins right. and all that stuff,
0: right? So it's a big divider, you know. No, we're we're certainly not in the position now when a patient comes in saying, "Are you uh, a keto or not?" But maybe that they will happen. But it is a subset of then. You go well, you know. Do I treat their thyroid because they're fine? Do I treat their hormones because they're fine? You know, unless there's a problem, I tend not to treat them. But so that's what I saw on me, and that was. You know more detail than I cared to go into, and certainly for most people, it's going to be overkill because you're going to want to summarize and saying, "This is now. This is what we're going to do." Um, but if there's no problem, I'd say let's move on. So I went back and and, and consulted with them. It's interesting, and uh, they're a great company. They know nothing about the effects of ketogenic diet on hormones. You know, so they're they're in their box like we all are. You know, we know X, and X relates to all these other things. But their specialty is looking at this graph and telling you what's high and what's low. And standardly, how to treat that? Interesting. And so I go back to you know, there's companies like um, Strategy. Now there's a lot of genome analysis companies out there that are more than willing to tell you this is your, you know, perhaps dangerous SNPs, dangerous mutations that need to be treated. I would now say I'm not quite sure anymore. You know, I, I was I was one of the homozygous MTHFRs, and my COMT, uh, COMTs, and my EMTs, which has to do with choline uh, uh, metabolism, and so my summary is: I look for. Uh, I, I think choline is very important. Uh, I do look at you know these SNPs, but I don't put as much emphasis on it as I used to. I find it's fascinating. It's potentially a very deep rabbit hole to bring somebody into. You know, they can go, "Oh, this is me. I could get this. I could get that. Could be my problem." And suddenly. You know, it's like um, snip narcissism. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's pull back here and see the big picture. The reason we did this is just to sort of see if there's anything egregious. So, and also the ApoE4 or, you know, 4-4 to say, well, that is associated with dementia and Alzheimer's. However, it is the best um, responder to a ketogenic diet, meaning low carbs. And so, these are the things you put together. And the reason I even care to open up the the genome thing is it's almost getting to be in common parlance. You know, It's like, oh, look at my genes. So you don't want them to go crazy, but you want to sort of mollify that whole little anxiety they might have. So we cover that.
1: I was giving a talk and somebody said to me, if I have a certain gene uh, structure, can that be overcome? And I said to them, well, you know, genetics are not necessarily destiny. In order for a right. gene to be a problem, um, it has to manifest. And it isn't necessarily going to manifest. And if it's not manifesting, you don't necessarily have to do something about it.
0: Right. That's
1: why right. I Even with is... the Even with the MTHFR, if somebody's perfectly healthy and they're um, homozygous for C677T, you know, um, and yet they're healthy and they're eating well and they have a good life and they're happy... Why do you have to give him B12 or, you know, why, why do you have to give him methylfolate right. or, you know, you don't necessarily right. really have
0: to. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I find that's very fascinating. It gets better uh, as I go deeper. You uh, want to go back on the MTHFR back when I had discovered it. It was basically through um, I didn't have a large autistic practice, but I did find the highest correlation of MTHFR was with autism. And so it, it, did, it did make me say, you know, uh, there is some relevance here. Let's go deeper with it. And that's got, what got me into that. Now, I would say, I, I wouldn't ignore it. I would also say, can we get said child on a ketogenic diet? You know, is it possible to move in that direction for the whole GABA uh, as, aspect? Oh, and, yes. Uh, in, the, in, the, in the microbiome change. So That's really hard, know,
1: though, with, with kids in the spectrum. What I see with kids in the spectrum, when the parents bring them in, um, the, the kids are so particular about what, you, you know, and if they haven't been raised... Eating a basically whole foods diet. They've been a, raised in sort of a conventional American sort of diet. They've got the things that they like, and the parents just get them fed. It, it's it can be really hard to have them those kids change their diets.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. There, there's a um, a documentary I saw, it, uh, I think a couple of years ago, called the Magic. I think it's called the Magic Pill, um, and it 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 puts the people attempting the ketogenic diet in a number of different, you know, the elderly, somebody about arthritis and so many, uh, I don't know if it was post heart disease, diabetes, but they also focused on an autistic child and it brought that family, how it, it got to be outrageously difficult. And then there was a snapping point in which they just provided no alternatives and you wouldn't believe the behavioral change. And the, you know, this, this uh, little girl happened to be, you know, was those little goldfish, you know, uh, you know, Yeah, the little crackers, sure. Red little crackers. That was her go-to food before. She had, you know, crap for her diet. And now finally, first removing, removing, and enduring. It was just incredible what they would. Enduring it, you know, they went as far as making bone broth and everything was, uh, you know, uh, a ketogenic diet with veggies. And um, now the child won't go back to anything else. This is what she'll take. So there was such a behavioral change in this child, strictly about dietary change that you had to ask it's an n of one of course i don't think there's ever going to be an n of 40 for a study uh, for a lot of reasons but there'll be a lot of n and ones there'll be another n of one but the that point of and, and this is hard for a physician for anybody to sort of say this is the right direction to go i'm not saying it's going to be easy for your first step it might be progressively more difficult and then it's going to be starting to get easier to the point that you're going to forget that you ever had a difficult time. But to say that the transition, now we're just talking metabolically, your body's having to do some work here and we're going to help you out with it. Maybe that's where the supplements come in and various other ways. But eventually, you know, you're going to have your own pair of skates going out in the pond by yourself and knowing how to skate and not have to worry about it, meaning that it's that's life is going to work out that way and you're not going to feel restricted. But initially, they're going to go, what, no cookies? Can I have Diet Coke versus Coke? So... If these conversations of, well, that's marginally better. And if you want to say yes part-time, said, but that's going to be taken out too. We're going to get the real food. Remember how your grandparents ate? They didn't ask this question. <laughs> yeah. Right. And say, if, if your grandmother was in the room, what do you think she'd say?
2: Oh, I don't want to go there.
0: <laughs> Still living with your grandmother then, huh? I did
2: live on a farm. Yeah. But my grandmother, yeah. well, oh, never mind she 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 my grandmother taught my mother how to cook, and that is that you you know you basically cook things until they are completely and ultimately dead and will never come away those back poor to life
1: women, again. I think they were <laughs> they were they were angry, they were not happy people and so and they didn't they, they didn't like pleasure was not something that came to them easily yeah. so where you're you're very much about the pleasure of of cooking and eating good food and uh, like you, you and your sister did a one eighty on that. Yeah,
2: big thanks to to Wally. I I think my dad was the was the because he who liked made, to eat good food. Well, it's Italian, you know. He's like you know Italian. Yeah. He had a little more pizzazz, mm. a little yeah, more for life sure. to him. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Ron is like the one of those classic, um, you know, earlier in the century when um, Italians migrated to Connecticut and started farms and stuff. He's he's uh, comes mm. from that stock. His mother does not.
2: Mm. No.
1: Yeah, mother was a. League of Nations. So.
2: Yes. Uh,
1: All right. So, so Carl, we've got two minutes left. Um, please, uh, if you could give us one more piece of um, amazing advice, and then we'll wrap up and tell people to get a hold of you and um, then talk about the fact that we're coming to North Carolina in a month. So. Yeah,
0: you are? Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Uh, that would be neat. Um, I would say then, um, the one thing, the most exciting part that I find, and i will and be releasing an interview for our podcast of a uh, psychiatrist from Harvard is taking keto to psychiatry. And so it's treating oh, bipolar, geez. schizophrenia, obsessive, convulsive disorders. It's difficult. Can you imagine? We just talked about autism, and you know, there's another show. It's like, it is, it's exciting, and yet it's pretty dangerous. You know, they, because they send their, their patients go home, and now you're saying they're going to eat differently. You know how hard it was for them to stay on their medication? And so now we're talking about diet there. Anyways, it's obviously working out successfully for many. Um, and it's dramatic, and I would say it's an extension of what we talked about the the gaba, and it goes well beyond that
1: yes, well, and that's Absolutely. what the you've heard of the gaps diet, right yeah, 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 and so that was that's the idea that um you you know the gaps diet starts out when when you start on the gaps diet you 're basically eating bone broth and maybe some meat, mm-hmm. and that's it right, and mm-hmm. that's how they start, and that's how they induct you into the gaps diet. and the gaps diet is basically a healthy uh uh, low-carb. I don't know if it's actually ketogenic, but it may be, but it's just a low-carb diet, and they start you basically keto-carnivore.
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting? And when you track that back to a lot of, you know, a, a lot of a lot of roads lead to the same destiny, so to say, you know, whether it's... Uh, well, good. Well, it's good to talk to you guys both. Uh, I have to know, right? So... um we will, we will talk more down the road and please tell me when you get in North Carolina. Yes. Oh yeah, Well. So let you know. So if you
1: want to reach Carl, if you want to learn more about Carl, Carl's uh, website is um, com. That's K-E-T-O com, And you can read his whole story and that has information about how to get hold of him. Um, did you want to uh, tell us any other ways to get hold of you or is that good?
0: Uh, I think that's fine. We have a, a Facebook group where people have to answer questions to get in saying they're just interested in keto. And, um... Those are pretty much the two. We're working on a more a larger program from my experience of working with people to kind of uh, really help people for the period of four months to make a transition for serious issues. Okay. Well, it's been fantastic
1: to talk to you again. Um, Very inspiring and your enthusiasm is infectious. And um, (laughs) just what you have done, you know, what you have shown and what you've demonstrated, you're doing very, very important work and thank you for doing it. And I'm really pleased and proud to have you on and, you know, support these ideas.
0: Yes, it's exciting both ways. And the fact that we knew each other before. Well, thank you you guys. All right. You take care,
1: Carl, and hopefully we'll see you next month.
0: You bet. Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamp. I thought I would take a moment of your time to tell you about something that we've been working on for a long time. And that is our product of C8 Keto MCT oil. How is it different and why would you even care about it? It's the highest purity you can find in the market, which is 99.7% caprylic acid triglyceride. And by the way, that's backed up by a certificate of analysis. It's not just me making up these numbers. But I think the bigger story behind our C8 MCT oil is not only that it is the most efficient way for you to create ketones naturally, and that is all three ketones, your beta-hydroxybutyrate, your acetoacetate, and your acetone. That's important. But the other part is it supports sustainably harvested palm oil. Why would you care? Because all the other C8 oil products out there, not the MCT oils, but the C8 MCT oils. Some people call them ketogenic oils out there. They come from palm oil and palm farming, specifically palm kernel farming in Southeast Asia is decimating the rainforest there. Absolutely. You go on right now to Google or to YouTube and say palm oil, Southeast Asia, and you will be in tears at the end of 10 minutes when you see the destruction that's happening. This is not part of that. This is the exception. So it's called RSPO, Roundtable on sustainable palm oil. You have to apply for it. You have to be audited by them. And it's a long, rigorous process. And it took us two years to bring this product to market. I hope you care. And I know you'll care about the efficiency in which it helps you make ketones. By the way, we don't drink this like it's a fluid. We put a little bit in our coffee. We make our mayonnaise out of it. We make uh, various salad dressings out of it when we have a salad. It's basically a, I hate to say, crutch but it's my aid to keeping me in ketosis when I want to be in ketosis. It's fast. It's long-lasting, certainly long, longer-lasting than exogenous ketones and much more holistic, as I mentioned, with all three ketones. That's about as much as I want to say. I hope you look into it. I hope you uh, take your ketones readings on a regular basis, as long with your glucose. If you do, then you really value this product. All the best, and I thought you should know.